On today's podcast, we're gonna be talking about how to sell your business, or at least how to prepare for a potential sale. We're also gonna talk about how to get angel investment, what angels think when they're making an investment with my guest, Andy. I'm Andy Evans. I've started and sold three businesses since 1999. How do people approach an investor? It's not a lot different to, you know, meeting a girlfriend or something. You know, you go out and you date and you get on with each other and then at some point maybe get married. But, you know, if you want to raise money, you should be thinking about it ahead of time and getting to know the people you think want to raise money from. So you've got this company, it's, it's doing moderately well, yeah. and you say, right, it's time to sell it. What, what's the next step? Our mission is to help 10 million people start and grow a business for free. We want nothing from you. In Pep Talk, we interview industry-leading experts from around the world who share actionable know-how and life lessons. That's why we're excited to partner with GoDaddy to power up Pep Talk. I've been using GoDaddy for years and would promote them on this podcast even if they didn't sponsor us. You can use their free website builder and start your online business at no cost and even get help these days with naming your business. For 40% off GoDaddy tools, click the link in the podcast notes below and use the code GDXPEPTALK. Andy, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to have you. Well, first of all, maybe for those that don't know you, anyone outside the UK, uh, that, that must be, because everyone in the UK knows who you are, but maybe tell everybody listening a little bit about who you are and what you do. So I'm Andy Evans. Uh, I've started and sold three businesses since 1999. And so tell people a little bit about, you've, you know, you've built these three companies and sold them. But tell us a little bit about what you're doing today. What's your main focus? Um, so my last exit was April 2019. Um, and since then, I've been investing in businesses. Um, I've invested in about 14 businesses now. Um, and I'm an advisor, a mentor, an investor in those businesses. Look after them, you know, make sure they do well. So let's talk a little bit initially about how an investor like yourself makes a decision for those listening that perhaps dream of having an investor or perhaps plan in the future, maybe to have an investor. Tell us a little bit about your process and how you make a decision to invest in a company. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different things. You know, some of it, as you probably know, it's emotional, right? So, um, you know, do you like the, the industry? Do you like the business? Do you like the people? Um, uh, you know, how, how well do they know the industry? Um, you know, are they confident? Are they driven? Are they determined? All of those kind of things. So there's a lot of things to think about as well as, you know, the business, the business plan and whether it's going to make money or not. I think that's a really interesting point for people listening. I think people think angel investors or people that have money to put into a business, it's all clinical. They think it's all based, for example, on the numbers or the business plan. But actually, we make quite emotional decisions based on, like you said, someone you like, right? Yeah, I think, you know, you've got to, as they say, kiss a lot of frogs to get a prince. And uh, if you get a, a, a no, um, a no is just a no today, because tomorrow it could be a yes, right? Depending on how you're feeling. Um, you know, you might have got out of bed and be in a bad mood. You might have had a big tax bill or something like that. There's all different reasons. Or you might be buying a new car and you go, well, I just don't fancy spending any more money at the moment. So there's lots of different reasons why you wouldn't wouldn't invest. So, you know, I think people need to be determined. It's not, if they get a no, it's not, it's not a straight no. It's just... Uh, it wasn't the right time of the day or right, the right day of the week or whatever. And I think actually for anyone listening who wants to raise money, uh, sometimes a no can, can actually be quite a powerful thing. If you can find out why the no was, okay, if the investor is looking to spend the money elsewhere, then fair enough. But then you know it's not your product per se that they're not investing in or you. But if you can get feedback from a no, it can be very powerful. I mean, I've said no reluctantly to quite a few companies and some of them have gone on to do really well. But I, I like to think by me telling them why I said no, that's one of the reasons they went on to do well. But, you know, this, that feedback is quite important. 
Yeah, and, you know, hey, look, if that person's not the right investor for you, ask them who else they know who might be a right investor. Because, you know, people high net worth know people who have got money and, um, you know, they know other investors, they know VCs and angel groups and so on. So if they're not the right person, maybe they know somebody who's who's uh, who's right for you. So, um, yeah, and, and as you say, try and learn what their perspective is. But, you know, just because I think it's wrong doesn't mean to say that anybody else does. Um, it's just maybe just not my cup of tea. And how do people how do people approach an investor? I mean, I have my view on this, but I just wondered, in your view, what's the best approach you've had? Is a best practice of people are listening, they can learn how to get an investor on board. I think the 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 reality is is a lot of investments come through introductions. Um, so you know, find people that will introduce you to people that are credible. Um, I think it's really important that you understand the person that is you're talking to um, as an investor or the company, because like, what kind of businesses do they invest in? Why do they invest in those kind of businesses? Um, and also if you're looking at an angel investor, right? So can that person bring something to the party, right? Other than money, um, can they help you? Can they make introductions? You know, Because I often say to people, look, I can invest, but my time is actually worth more than my money, right? Can I open doors for you? Can I give you hints and tips on how to run the business? Can I give you a new idea that can make you another million quid? Um, you know, all of those things are really important. So there's, you know, there's a lot to be thought about on both sides about how that meeting of minds works. I actually think you're also talking really about how to make a sale. Yeah. Because so, so many people yeah. just go out there and, and say, here's my product, do you want to buy it? And people say, no, what they don't do is go and say, hey, what do you think of my product? How could I make it better? How would it service your needs? What are your needs? Yeah. Yeah. That relationship back and forth is, is, is a sales process. I mean, getting an angel investor on board in, in reality is a sales process, right? Yeah, definitely. And as I say, that sales process is just beginning when you take investment because maybe that investor will come again later on and invest more. Um, maybe they'll introduce you to other people that will invest along the way as well. And as I say, maybe they're going to help you on your journey. So um, it's not just a matter of raising money and closing a deal. Um, and also, you know, if you think you're going to raise money, probably think a little bit ahead of time in terms of, you know, when you're going to raise money and, and make sure that you're getting to know people and building a relationship because it's it's not a lot different to, you know, meeting a girlfriend or something you know you go out and you date and you get on with each other and then at some point maybe get married but you know if you want to raise money you should be thinking about it ahead of time and getting to know the people that you think you want to raise money from i think that marriage analogy is also very good for people listening to realize that if you get money from someone it is like getting married yeah. and and quite often i mean i know some of the investments i made 12 13 years ago i'm still speaking to them once yeah. a month for 13 years yeah. and so you know it, it really becomes that quite important to have that relationship so again don't just take anybody's money people listening might you know might not realize this until they do it but you take the wrong money it can also cause you a lot of pain right so yeah i mean i, I can tell you from my own experience that um you know the first business i launched back in 1999 um i took investment and uh i was young and naive and uh it got to the point where i only owned 21 percent of the business that i'd built and um you think well hang on i'm the guy that's running this business I own 21% of it and I really don't have any enthusiasm to drive it anymore and build it anymore. So what do I do? Mm. So I ended up having to um, sit down and negotiate with the investors um, around a board table and sort of, like, if you don't allow me to buy the business back, then I don't really want to be here. Mm. And um, it's almost like putting a gun against your head and it's really, but it's your baby, you've built the business. And thankfully I was able to turn that around. Mm. But through that experience, actually nowadays, 
some one of the things I do with businesses I work with and investments I have is actually I help them to dig themselves out of difficult positions they put themselves into. Good learning um, for people listening ahead of time to think about this because, I mean, Rupert Murdoch only owned 18% of News Corp. Is that right? And so I think sometimes size can compensate for equity, lower equity or control. You can still have control and have 18% yeah. as he did. Yeah. But these things aren't discussed properly when you're a new founder or you're going through the process of raising money. Yeah. Sometimes it is about getting the money in and then you usually say you're... That's why I personally really dislike programs like Dragon's Den in this regard. You know, I like the entertainment factor. I love the pitches in it. But when people are taking 50% off people, yeah. I'm instantly thinking that person, a year from now, if they do another funding raise, they're going to end up at 25%, 10%, 5%. When it's actually successful, they're going to have 5% of their company. Mm. So it doesn't make any sense when those offers are made. What they're actually doing is they're buying people's companies when they do that, right? Yeah. They're not investing in those, yeah. those companies. Yeah. It's, it's quite amazing the difference in enthusiasm you see from people when they have more control over the business. So I began to work with a business recently who had taken investment and given away 60% of the business. Um, the business was quite young um, and we eventually managed to buy 100% of the business back again. And I won't talk about the business or the numbers behind it, but that company did as much revenue in two months recently that it had done in the first 24 months of trading. This, this is actually a good lesson for investors. Anyone that's thinking of investing in businesses as well. This is a, this is a reverse lesson yes. on that front because, you know, first of all, say no quickly if you're not going to invest. Second is definitely um, understand that if you take 50% of someone's company, mm. you might, I made this mistake, same. You might think initially, that, oh, well, I've got 50% of something, but they won't work as hard. They won't care as much. No. And therefore, you know, especially if you're not operational, if it's 50-50 and you're all operational, yeah. you're involved in the business, you're helping the business, it can be different. I've had a 50-50 partnership, that's that's fine. But a 50% equity holder who does nothing yeah. Yeah. for the business yeah. is a big problem waiting to happen. And, and, and the people that are running the business will expect you to be more involved. So if you have a minority, then you can be involved or, or not be involved. But like, like you say, if you, if you don't own a good majority of the business, then you're not going to be driven. <clears throat> and actually, it's going to be really difficult to um, to go out and get further funding because you sort of get yourself into a bit of a corner where you say, wow, we've got this great opportunity to open in different countries or do different things with the business. Um, but if we raise money now, we're going to have like 10% left each. Where does that take me? And why would you take that gamble as well? Yeah. You know, They don't want to then dilute with the potential of growth that might not work. Yeah. And then you end up with less of your own company. Yeah. This is a really important thing to think of ahead of time. If this podcast is inspiring you to start or grow a business, then I recommend you use Taylor Brands. They are our sponsor for this podcast and they help you not only craft a brand, but design merchandise and so much more. In the last year, I've used this site for every single one of my businesses. I couldn't recommend them more. And we've even negotiated a 40% off discount code for you. Just use PEP, P-E-P, when using their website to make your booking. Now, let's get back to the podcast. So, so. Tell, tell you, just interestingly, one of the things I talk to people about, and I haven't actually seen many people um, talk about this or do this, but um, you know, when we run our P&L, our balance sheet and our cash flow, we, we always say like cash is king, right? Make sure you look at where your cash is and so on. Um, but I don't often see um, startups building a uh, equity flow. So I always advise if you're going to raise money and you think you're going to raise money over a series of sessions over a three to five year period with an ambition of making an exit at a certain point, map it out on a spreadsheet, right? Talk about 
how much the valuation might be at each one of those points, how much uh, investment you're going to get, how much equity you might give away, what you're going to give away to advisors, what are you going to give away to your staff and so on. Where does that put you in three or five years time? Should you have an exit? Okay. And when you get to that exit, if you change some of the numbers early on in that spreadsheet and you don't give away as much, or you don't raise as much money or only raise as much money as you need rather than more than you need, um, and, and just think about how that works. It makes a massive difference to the exit opportunity at the end. And I think that's probably a little tip um, to have a think about in, if you're running a business and you are on that, on that journey. Just map it out on a spreadsheet in the same way you would your cash flow. It's a really good way of explaining to people the point that I know to be true as well, that sometimes the companies that raise the most amount of money don't win. No. It's the ones that are incentivized to win that win. So sometimes those companies raise a lot of money, they've diluted a lot. And therefore, the people running them aren't as excited about the business. Yeah. And so they don't win, even though they raise more money. I think that's, that's a part of it. There's, um, there's, a, there's a lot of discussion around what makes a, a, a successful business. Um, and it could be money, it could be location, it could be the people, it could be the product and all these different things. But one of the experiences that I've had is, is actually timing, I think, is a really important part of, of a business. Um, as you know, uh, I was I started a company called Podcast Voices back in 2005. It was the first audio and video production company for podcasting. Now, it's great. It's fun. It's exciting. But we were way too early mm. to market. We had first clients. doesn't win, right? It doesn't first win. doesn't win. Exactly. That's a really good point as well. And we spent a lot of time evangelizing and talking to the market about, you know, what podcasting was about. Um, so we got timing wrong. Great idea, but we got the timing wrong. Um, and, um, and, and, and later on, um, I built a business called OnScroll for ad viewability, which viewers may or may not know about. Um, but when I launched it in 2013, everybody in the advertising industry was talking about uh, viewability. And I just got the timing right. And it, I wasn't any cleverer or any better than anybody else. I got the right product at the right time, and I managed to sell that business in two and a half years. And um, so timing is a really big, you know, how does your business fit into the market right now and is it the right time um and and is there a way of rethinking about your business maybe sometimes we're thinking about our ideas we have are a little bit ahead of ourselves and sometimes it's, it's better to bring it back into what is really relevant for today i think that's a really good point i mean i personally am looking quite heavily at the metaverse right now yeah. And I feel like it will be the future. Mm -hmm. But would I put all my energies into building a metaverse-related business? No. Yeah. I think spreading it between Web 2 and Web 3 is smart because people are still living in a Web 2 world. Sure. Right? So it's, it's you say timing. Although I, I think there's another thing which is really interesting about what you're saying that I don't want the listeners to miss, which is persistence. Mm -hmm. you know, so you, 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 if you carried on with your podcasting business, you'd be the probably the biggest podcast production company in the world right now. Maybe. So you know, if you, you were there early doing it. Mm -hmm. um, Alvin, just why did you stop? Well, I ran it from 2005 to 2009 and, um, and it was just, it, it was relentless in terms of just educating and educating and, and, you know, we would tell people and they'd get excited about it, but did they really have the budgets to invest in it? Um, did they really understand what the power of podcasting was or could be? Um, but even then back in 2009, you know, podcasting was still difficult, you know, to understand how RSS feeds worked and so on. Um, it was just still too clunky. Um, so you know, um, I had a, my other business, Net Communities, it was doing very well. So, okay, for every hour that I spend in this business um, and every hour I spend in that business, which one am I going to be more successful at? Um, and actually going further on, so I had 
Net Communities, Podcast Voices, and OnScroll. Um, when I launched OnScroll, um, I was still running Net Communities, and um, I was away on holiday with my wife. And uh, one minute I'm getting a phone call from uh, from Net Communities. I've been running for 15 years, and you know, as problems and difficulties and so on. But Net Communities is a much much bigger business than OnScroll, and OnScroll will be wow, everything's great, it's exciting and all these new things going on. And um, I said to my wife, wow, if I was going to get a job today, I don't want to work at OnScroll. I don't want to work at Net Communities anymore, you know, but I own this business and I have a commitment to the staff and the people and so on. And, um, and I just saw that OnScroll was the business that was going to be more successful. So I had to make a hard decision to say, right, I need to change this and I need to get focused on one thing. And that's what encouraged me to go out and sell Net Communities and, 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 make sure that all the staff were looked after, make sure that the business had a future, um, but it, but not for me because really it was time to move on. I think, it was a really I think, tough decision. I think that in, that insight there is something, I think well, I want the audience not to miss this. My translation of what you've said is basically sometimes you've got to, you've got to let something go to, to grow something new yeah. in a way, right? Because you've also got a lot of attachment to that business for lots of reasons and it works, it's yeah. successful, but that was the right time to sell it. So tell everybody listening, how do you go about selling a company? So you've got this company, it's, it's doing moderately well, yeah. and you say, right, it's time to sell it. What, what's the next step? I think you need to talk about, you need to think about the um, the target audience. So who, who do you think is, is going to buy your business? And, you know, if you're building a business today from the beginning, you should already be thinking about if you think really think you want to, to sell it at some point, um, think about who, who might buy it. Um, so there's, there's one thing having a business go, wow, wow, I need to sell it. Another thing in sort of planning. And I think if I, if I knew then what I know now, I'd, I'd be putting much more planning into it. Like who are the companies that, that can buy? Why would they want to buy? What would they be interested in? Um, and the other thing is, is making sure that the business is actually easy to understand. Because if a business is too complicated, um, people won't understand how it fits into their business. Or why would they require it? Well, I've got these three things, but I need, num- num- I need number four filled. And uh, what does that look like? And they'll be looking for a business that does that. But if your business does four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, well, you know, maybe it doesn't quite fit. So really be thinking about the, the target audience. Again, it's sales, isn't it? Mm. Um, but then, you know, I, I, I actually, while I was on holiday at the time, I just sat down and I wrote an information memorandum. I wrote an IM, a full description of the business, um, what it does, how it does it, what the assets are. Um, all the opportunities and advantages of the business, everything that somebody would need to know, almost like uh, uh, um, details of a house, you know. And um, and then I went round, shopped it round, and did it on my own at that uh, with that in that particular scenario. Um, and um, uh, you know, spoke to loads of people and had lots of meetings, and again, relentless at it. And uh, and and one of those meetings turned out good. Mm. Um, but then later on. Um, with the the last business I sold on scroll, um, I'd been courting companies that I felt might be potential acquirers, and, and actually the company that ended up buying uh, on scroll, um, I'd known the CEO for some eight years before, and always been in contact with him, and always been very helpful and helped each other out, and um, and the business is very simple to understand, and it was very easy for him to go, right, I've got part one, two, and three, but I need part four. Oh, Andy, you've got that. Let's plug that in. Um, and, and that sort of worked out. So what I did in that instance was very different to what I did in, in the previous one. Mm. It's um, fascinating for people listening. I, I wonder what you think of 
my experience on this and whether this is played out the same for you. I sold, uh, I've sold two companies. My last company was to PwC, PricewaterhouseCoopers. I sold my agency fluid to them. First of all, someone outside the industry buying it. No, the list you can make maybe um, is the list of people you think are going to buy you who may be in the industry. Yeah. But they probably know how to do a lot of what you do. They could just take market share from you instead of buy you. The ones that might buy you, the ones that don't presently have your market. So that was one learning. PwC didn't have any of the agency market at that time. So they bought into the industry by, by buying my business. The second thing I did was I worked with them as a client for a while, yeah. a bit like the courting process you're just talking about there. And they, they saw the potential after working with us. It was almost like a reverse sale, team up. And next thing you know, they're making you an offer to buy the company because they're like, wow, this partnership could be very lucrative. Why don't we just buy you? I think that's a really, really smart, good way to do things. Um, and, and even if it's the opportunity to learn how businesses like that work and, and maybe it's not that company that acquires you that you do business with, but another company similar, but absolutely building relationships and getting to know the people that, that might acquire you is really important. And one way to do that, of course, is through, um, you know, through doing business with them. Mm. Um, and absolutely, you know, what I think in your scenario, it feels like, um, what you found was a, 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 a really big hole that they didn't have and, and quite a strange big hole that they needed to fill. And, and you and I may go, wow, PwC want to buy this company. That's an unusual approach. It's not, you know, it's not the traditional list that I might have gone through. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's the surprising thing. There are always surprising, um, you know, businesses out there that, that might want to buy you. And so how do you deal with that, right? Um, the thing I never did, um, and if I look back, maybe I should have done when I've sold previous businesses is um, I didn't take on a business who specialized in selling businesses, an M&A specialist to go out and help me sell my business. And I think that what you might find if you were looking to sell your business, um, it's worth considering working with an M&A company purely because this is what they do, right? They live and breathe building and selling businesses. Um, and uh, they will know companies that want to buy and they will also know the very big companies out there who are looking to fill holes that you just didn't expect. And they're often the opportunities where you're going to get a higher multiple because the multiple doesn't necessarily always come, you know, we've, I'm sure you've had lots of conversations on this podcast about multiples and how much my business is worth and so on. It's like a vintage car, right? What you sell is it's worth what it's worth to the person that's going to buy it. Totally. Simple as that, right? And you don't know how much that is until you get into negotiations. And it might be that by adding your small company onto their big company, they can take your technology and extend it and make your company 100 times bigger. Well, then, so the multiple is going to be worth quite a lot for them, right? Mm. Um, it's a very good point because most of the traditional conversations around value of a business, around three times a turnover or, or 10 times profit would be, traditional right roughly but i personally had three years forward sale projections as the value of my business based yeah. on it going inside the pwc network mm -hmm. so like you say um you know don't box yourself in thinking it's worth a certain thing and if you talk to experts that have done this day in day out yeah. but where do people find people like that i mean i i i i got lucky i think selling both my companies mm -hmm. but is i feel like there's not a proper there's not a clear route if someone's listening now they want to find someone to help them sell their company it doesn't feel like there's a lot of people around that do that I mean, there are, if you hunt them around, look, look for M&A businesses, but equally you need to find an M&A business that understands your market and mm. understands the buyers in that market and understands how the valuations work and, and can talk about your business in a competent way. If you somebody's selling your business, you want them to understand what, what they're talking about, right? Mm. Um, so 
But let's go back to the investment. We talked about getting smart investors. So the investors you have, people who have sold their businesses before, maybe. Yeah. Good or point. people that are involved in um, the wider investment network. So they know VCs and so they can introduce you to your next level of investment. And, and maybe through the VC, you're going on a journey where um, they can help you find an exit as well. So, you know, depending on how you go through the, the investment cycle, you know, generally when you start stepping up into a series A and beyond, you're going to be working with a, with a series of investors who know who they can sell you to and they'll already be out there doing this work for you and talking to companies that might acquire you. So it depends on the journey you're on. But again, it's, it's relationships all the way through as we've spoken about. Great loop back to how these two things connect, your investors and your investment process yeah. Yeah. and exit. Because equally, sometimes you exit a company when you sell your company, the people that are buying it want you running it. But if you're not ownership, you don't have ownership structure to make that incentive work, then they won't invest in you or they won't buy you. Yeah. yeah. So you've got to make it all connect, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, look, Andy, thank you so much for your time. I could keep talking to you forever. We're supposed to keep this to 20 minutes, but I'm already over. I'm sure my listeners are enjoying it. But if anyone wants to connect to Andy, we'll put his links down below. And we will also try to put together a list of M&A businesses in general um, that might be useful to you. And again, we'll put the links down below as as we, yeah, thanks. I think that'll be really useful for people listening, maybe who want to research very hard to do because lots of different industries, but we'll try and put something together to help people out there that might be interested in finding a company to help them figure out how to make their business grow and how to sell their business. But Andy, thanks for your time. That's been amazing. Thanks for your time. Thanks for listening to Pep Talk. We hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to follow The Purposeful Project on all our social media channels where we're giving away even more free business secrets and entrepreneurial value. Again, we'd like to thank our sponsor GoDaddy for powering this podcast. From naming a business to buying a domain name to building your website for free, GoDaddy has you covered. For 40% off GoDaddy tools, click the link in the podcast note below and use the code GDXPEPTALK. See you next time, entrepreneurs. And remember, you're not alone.